Welcome to tonight's uh, Scottsdale Big Book Study, uh, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is the 20th of August, 2022. My name is Audrey Ann, and I'm a recovered compulsive operator from County Mead in Ireland. And I will be your host today. Our co-hosts are Nancy J, Johan, and Sue L. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact myself or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer session, which follows, will not be recorded. We will post the link to the previous week's recording in the chat function. We ask if you please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen at any time. I will now turn the meeting over to Harlan G. Thanks, Harlan. Thank you so much. Thank you, Audrey. And thank you to everyone who makes this meeting possible. For everyone who is tending the website and putting up those recordings and doing all the things that need doing for this to continue. I was uh, reminiscing today about with somebody about how this started out at the coffee plantation in Scottsdale at a table just outside the door. And now it's just an incredible, incredible uh, thing. And, and we were getting people from all over, from Sweden, from France, from Italy, from Greece to, you know, all points of America. What a miracle God has done with this big book study that started out so very long ago at a table in a place called the Coffee Plantation. Unfreaking believable when I think back on it. And I also want to thank all of you who attend it because without you, it'd be pretty ridiculous for me to sit here and just talk to myself on a Zoom meeting. So I might get locked up if I did that. Anyway, I'm, I'm glad we're here. Just a couple of announcements. Um, we are going to bring our workshop east into White Plains, New York in December on the 9th, 10th and 11th of December. And rather than, than not have uh, the big book study that weekend, we're going to have a speaker for you for that weekend. We're going to have a speaker that is going to substitute for me that weekend. But if you're in that area, it would be wonderful to see you. I do not have specific hotel information yet. That inner group has not provided that for me. When I have it, you will have it. And I just want to remind each and every one of you how vitally wonderful it would be for all of you to come to the OA birthday, which will take place in January of next year at the Los Angeles Hilton, L-A-X Hilton. That's on Century Boulevard, the one closest to the airport. And that is when that is uh, going to take place the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th of January of early next year. That is going to be quite the celebration. I am hoping sincerely that if you can come, that you will come because it is such a gift. Although we love Zoom and we're grateful to Zoom, we're grateful for the technology that we have, what a blessing it would be to actually be able to see each other in the flesh, to spend time, break some bread, laugh a little, cry a little, and spend some time listening to some absolutely wonderful, wonderful speakers. There's going to be so many things that are going on that I know that it will be life-changing for anyone that can get there. Okay. We have been in the chapter to we agnostics and we agnostics concerns itself with step two, step two. And we have been going very, very slowly. And the reasons that I told you that we're going to go very, very slowly is because for many people, including me, this is an extremely sensitive, 
difficult subject to talk about God. It is a subject that bristles people with antagonism. It just is not something that is easy to talk about. And so many of us, like me, I believed that there was a God, but I did not really believe that that God was going to concern himself with me and my eating problem because it seemed to me, and the key word here is seem, that God never really answered my prayers. I prayed to be thin and I continued to get fatter. I prayed for Rob and Laura Petrie for parents and I got Max and Virginia Grabowski. Very, very different. I prayed for being the first baseman of the Cubs and I wasn't. All these various unrealistic prayers that you would lay on a genie or Santa Claus or God knows who or what never really seemed to work out for me. I never really seemed to get what I wanted, darn it. And as long as I wasn't going to get what I wanted, I sort of felt screwed over and I sort of felt like, hey, God, what the heck is going on here? What about me? And I looked around the world that I lived in and I saw the people in my life, the people that I knew, they could take a McDonald's hamburger and their mother or father could split that hamburger into two pieces, one hamburger into two pieces and give one piece to one sibling and one piece to another sibling. As I stood there watching this, and neither sibling would finish their half of the hamburger. And I, I looked around and I did not understand how was this possible? How was this something that someone could do? Where was I when these, these, these reservoirs of willpower and discipline were passed out? And I was taken to the woodshed by the world that I was born into. I was taken to the woodshed in this respect. The world sent me a signal and it sent me a signal at a very early age. And the signal that it sent me was as long as I was fat, I was completely unacceptable to the world. I would never have a good job and I would never be accepted and I would never have a girlfriend and I would never be successful and I would never this and never that and never this and never that. And the world successfully beat me down. The world whipped me and beat, excuse me, and beat me and to the point where I often wondered what had I done what had I done that was so serious? When I was six, I don't think this was conscious, but looking back, I must have wondered what, what spree of felonies had I masterminded to do me to a life of being the most unacceptable thing a human being can be, and that is fat. And that was something that the world taught me at the end of a whip. And from a very early age on, I wanted to die a lot more than I wanted to live. Now, quite the opposite is true. But the transition was a long one and an arduous one, and it took a lot of work. But let's review before we begin today. And just to let you know where we're going to begin today, we're going to begin on page 45. Page 45, we're going to begin with We Know How He Feels. It's the last full paragraph on page 45. But let's just talk for just a minute here. Now, we have this title, We Agnostics. And I know we've talked about this before, but for the benefit of those who might not have been here before, we're going to just cover the ground very quickly. 
what is an agnostic? Now, we all know what a believer is, someone who very strongly believes that, yes, there is a God. And, and, and we see these people, maybe we are these people, and that's fine. And then there's the atheist. The atheist believes that there is no God or there is no religious deity. You know, the guy that you might have in your head with the long beard and the staff. And, you know, he's like the shepherd of the world and he's kind of up in heaven. They don't believe in that at all. They don't believe in a religious deity. And then we have the agnostic. What is an agnostic? Ag means without. Gnostic means knowledge. Agnostic means without knowledge. And so we have someone that is not quite sure. Is there a God? Is there not a God? I'm not quite sure if I'm an agnostic. Now, many of us believe that there is a God. But we have pockets of agnosticism. Many people who go to church or synagogue or the mosque, or they go to the temple, or they go to a house of worship, they believe enough to go, they believe enough to participate, but they have pockets of agnosticism. And most frequently for compulsive overeaters or alcoholics or drug addicts or Al-Anons or what have you, love addicts, sex addicts, gamblers, we have these pockets of agnosticism. And a pocket of agnosticism is this. I believe that there is a God, but I don't have enough knowledge, agnostic without knowledge. I don't have enough knowledge to convince myself that this God can and will help me in all areas of my life. And this is very important for me to work toward during my life. Last week when we met, we read the thesis line of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a little bit up on the page from where we're gonna to begin today. And it starts, and I'm just reviewing, I'm continuing to review, and then we're gonna get going on what we need to cover for today. But I just wanna review for a second here, page 45, middle of the page. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Now, the next sentence is the thesis line of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Its main object is to enable you to find a power capitalized, meaning God, greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Now, if the main object of this book is to help me find a power greater than myself that will solve my problem, what is it that I'm going to do I'm gonna shift a couple of things. One of the things that I'm gonna shift is something that I have been taught, told, and heard since the day I walked into Overeaters Anonymous on February the 2nd, 1979, some 43 years ago in February, it will be 44 years since I walked in to my first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous on that freezing, cold, icy, miserable night so long ago. And what is it that I heard that I must not take in? And that is that abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. Now, I can hear some of you really well. Some of you have already passed out. Some of you have fainted. Some of you are writing me nasty messages, nasty emails. You're putting a curse on my ancestors. You're saying, what do you mean abstinence is not the most important thing in my life without exception? And some of you are calling Los Angeles and Albuquerque, and you're saying, oh, that damn Harlan, he's telling us we don't have to be abstinent. I never said that. I never said you didn't have to be abstinent. I said that abstinence for me is not the most important thing in my life without exception. Abstinence is vital. I, I equate abstinence with English 101. 
I have a college degree, not that I'm any big deal. Trust me, I got through I'm, by the skin of my teeth. I was 600 pounds by the time I graduated college. And I was certainly not a great student by any stretch of the imagination. I was actually on academic probation at one time when I was a junior. My mom died when I was a junior. My dad died when I was a senior, or just yeah, after my senior. And somebody is unmuted hosts. If you could uh, do something about that, that would be wonderful or co-hosts or whatever. Great, thank you so much. I wasn't a great student, but in order to get a college degree from Roosevelt University in downtown Chicago, you must have passed English 101 and 102. You cannot get any type of degree from that school, stubborn, bums that they are, I tried, no, stubborn that they are, they will not give you a degree without English 101 and English 102. So English 101 and English 102 are vital to me getting a college degree, are they not? Because without those two subjects, and you have to have a C or better, if you get a D, or certainly an F or an incomplete, you have to go back and take it again. You must take them and pass them with a C or better. I couldn't get a degree without those subjects. So I had to go and take them and that was fine, but that's not the be all and the end all. If the main object of this book is to help me find a power greater than myself, and that power is going to solve my problem, then the pursuit of a relationship with that power is going to overtake abstinence as the most important thing in my life without exception. And I can hear good, I hear some of you saying, but Harlan, all that step two really is, is it's a, it's a, it's, it's me asking myself, do I believe or am I willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? Yes, that's true. But the pursuit of a stronger relationship with that power is going to determine the quality of my recovery. For if I stay mired in a recovery that says abstinence is the most important thing in my life, I'm going to cheat myself and I'm also going to be very disappointed because what's eventually going to happen, and this is what happened to me in program, is that I started to believe other lies that people told me. People told me from the time I was two, lose the weight and everything will be okay. And that is simply a lie. You see the lie that society will heap upon the obese. And I cannot speak from the standpoint of an anorexic. I assume it's the same. I cannot speak from the standpoint of a bulimic. I'm neither bulimic nor am I anorexic, but I wanna mention them because there are many of them among us today and we treasure that. We treasure them and we are better off that they are here. But I can only speak from my own experience. I can only assume that it is the same for them, that we are told that if this weight changes, if the bulimia changes and doesn't occur anymore, if the anorexia will get fixed and you return back to X weight, then everything will be okay. And let me assure you that that has never been the case with any of us, or we wouldn't be here now. If losing the weight fixed my life, I would have lost the weight and I would not be here today. I'd be watching cartoons or I'd be whatever I'd be doing. I don't know. I don't think they even have the Saturday morning cartoons anymore. What a shame the kids can't get up and watch a little George of the Jungle or watch a little Peter Potamus or Magilla Gorilla or God knows what. But I don't even think they have them anymore. But that aside, because my Narishkeit can tend to take over the, the time here. So what is it that's so important for me to discard? And that is abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. No, it's not. 
Abstinence is a byproduct of my relationship with that higher power because people that are spiritually fit do not put excess food in their mouth or foods that will harm them because step two came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And sane people do not, do not put excess food in their mouth because they already feel better. You see, food was never the problem. Food for me and people like me was the solution to the problem. And if food was the solution to that problem, what was the problem? The problem is the buildup of everyday human emotions. That in my brain, guilt, shame, remorse, jealousy, Happiness, yes, happiness is an emotion. And I have eaten railroad cars full of Chips Ahoy cookies when I was happy. And I bet you might have it too. And these emotions, when they build to a certain point, jealousy, lust, uh, uh, fear, fear for sure, selfishness, people are not sticking to my script. The world is not sticking to my script. The solution became food, whether I was conscious of it or not. And my brain would not tell me to eat steamed broccoli. No, my brain would not tell me to eat steamed cauliflower. No, my brain says, hey, it's been about three hours. You haven't had a Chips Ahoy in about three hours. It's about time. You've already proven that you are not a compulsive overeater. Go ahead and have a Chips Ahoy. Go ahead and have a little, go ahead and have a little spaghetti. Go ahead and have some Reese's peanut butter cups or French fries, something salty and crunchy or something sweet and, and, and something that's going to take that pain away. The problem is it only takes it away for about nine seconds, but because of the action of the mental blank spot that builds in forgetter. I can no more remember that the food does a lot more to harm me than it does to help me than I can remember algebra or geometry, which I can't remember. But I have this idea in my head that if I just lose weight, everything will be okay. And my life illustrates that that is phony, that that does not hold water. It doesn't work that way. So what we're going to be challenged to do is we're going to go slow in this chapter, painfully so, I'm sorry to say, because we need to cover this, this second step so that you don't fall into some of the mistakes that I see being made in program every day. Now I'm reticent to use the word mistakes because it almost sounds judgmental that I'm judging what other people are doing. But what I see over and over again is people doing the program and it's not working for them. And if you are around me any length of time, you will find that I am of the firm belief that the two most impactful steps in the relapse cycle are a lack of two and a lack of 10. Lack of two, lack of 10. Yes, one plays into it often, but two and 10 are the most underutilized steps. How do you work step two? How do you work step two? Let's go to page 45 and we're gonna cover that. We're gonna cover the answer to that question again and again and again and again. But for right now, let's put a pin in that. How do you work step two? We're gonna put a pin in and we're gonna go to the bottom of 45. And remember, we have been talking about this discussion of God or higher power. We know how he feels. We have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. Some of us have been violently anti-religious. Now I'm gonna stop right there. 
especially when you think about the headlines in the paper that we see every day. Did I just use an archaic thing, the paper? No, I better update my vocabulary that we see online every day. You know, because in my mind, when you get news, you get it in the paper, the Tribune, the Sun-Times, the Chicago American. No, those are, you know, we read them, but we read them online now. I bet there's a very small minority of people that may get get a newspaper, but we are in, in a small, small little minority. But who wouldn't be feeling some of these things if they read some of the headlines that we are all exposed to every single day? And the, the, the world that we live in is a turbulent world. It's a world of polarization and conflict. And that doesn't change. That doesn't change. This is not new. This is old stuff. People have been fighting with one another and arguing with one another since Cain killed Abel. This has been the world that we were born into. And there's never going to be that time, that fairy tale, where everything is going to be utopia. As long as there are other people in the world that have their basic instincts unfulfilled, there's going to be conflict. So we have to either say, I'm going to live in spite of this or die because of this. So when we read of these conflicts, we read of these situations, we have a decision to make, do we not? And the decision we need to make is, am I going to live in spite of this? Or am I going to die because of this? Is this the hill that I want to die on? And these are things that we review every day. Is this the hill that I want to die on? Let's continue. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him, capitalized, with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. And I remember going to Hebrew school as a child, and I learned about Noah and the ark, and I learned about Abraham and Moses and <clears throat> Joshua and all these various, and we were slaves in Egypt and blah, 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 and we were this and we were that. You know, if you've ever been around Jewish people for the holidays, all the holidays are basically the same thing. Hey, they tried to kill us. Some of us got away. Let's eat. You know, they tried to kill us. Some of us got away. Let's bust out the food. And that's pretty much Jewish holidays in a nutshell. Okay. But those are the ideas. Maybe yours were a different religion. Maybe yours were Christian, Catholic, Muslim, whatever that was. They were, but we we get impressed upon these things during most of our childhood. Or or the 180 degree opposite occurs. You are raised in a home where worship of God is frowned upon. You are raised in a home where there is no religion at all whatsoever. You are raised in a home that is a religious or the absence of religion. And so you grow up with no ideas, no thoughts, and no historical kind of situation whatsoever. But either side of the fence that you come from, these are things that we need to look at because we have to separate ourselves, separate ourselves from these various ideas. You don't have to separate yourself from your religion. No, that is not what I'm saying. But what we need to do is establish a spiritual life to either go along with your religious life or to, for the very first time in your life, for the very first time in your life, bring God into the equation where maybe he didn't have a place before. Maybe you were in that second group who grew up without a religion, without a fundamental kind of belief or, or anything like that history at all. So this does not conflict at all with your religion. It does not conflict with religious practices 
or religious beliefs or religious theologies. It is different in that it is more spiritual than it is religious. We are not connected with any particular religion or sect. We have no opinion on outside issues. We have no opinion on these things. So do not come away with this saying, I told you that your religion is not applicable here. I never said that. These are things that augment your religious practices or they become practices that have no relation to a religion in your life at all whatsoever. Either you come from one side or the other. Perhaps we rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. And I know that for me, Judaism was a place that I feared God. I knew God was going to get me. I knew God was going to give me, as my father would say, a good shmeisen tochas. What does a shmeisen tochas mean? A spanking. A shmeisen tochas means a spanking. And I, I yelled F you at my mother. I yelled F you at my mother because I wanted silly putty. And I had used up my allowance. And I wanted silly putty and I didn't give a damn what I had to do to get silly putty. And it seemed to me that everybody in the world had silly putty and I want silly putty. And I was obsessed with silly putty. And she said, you'll have to wait till next week. And I yelled F you at my mother. I did that. I really did. So I wasn't always a very nice guy. I yelled F you at my mother over silly putty. That's stupid. But I did that, and that's true. But I was told I was going to get a shmeisen tochas for that, a real shmeisen tochas, which means a spanking once I died. Well, I didn't want that. I didn't want a spanking. I just wanted the damn silly putty. So I didn't want that in my life. So what I had to come to was a God that was not going to punish me in that way. I didn't need or want a punishing God. And so one of the first characteristics that I came to in a description of a God that I was willing to believe in, that I am willing to believe in, is a God that doesn't punish me. I have been punished quite enough. Thank you very much. So these things became inadequate. Now let's continue. With that rejection, we imagine we had abandoned the God idea entirely. We were bothered with the thought that faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak, even cowardly. We looked upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. So let's stop right there. One of the things that comes up in questions and answers, and every day on Scottsdale, from Sunday to Friday, we do questions and answers for not only newcomers, but for anybody that has a question after our regularly scheduled meetings. And if you listen to the special edition I did last week, it was basically tell your story for a little bit and open it up because that's what they wanted me to do. And that's something that helps some people. And that's great. But one of the questions and answers that will always come up is, how can I believe in God if there was chattel slavery in America? How can I believe in God if there was the Holocaust? How can I believe in God with what's going on in Europe right now or in America right now? And on and on and on and on. And I'd say the same thing every time. I don't know. I don't know. You don't have to believe in anything because I tell you to believe in those things. But what I can tell you once again is there are calamities. There are horrible things, inexplicable calamity. Why are some children born with horrible diseases and most are not? Why is there prejudice? Why is there poverty? Why is, I don't know. 
but I do know that there is a God and it's not me, but I do know that we don't live in a perfect world. Let's forget the headlines here for just a second. There are 156 of us on the line right now. Some of you have been raped. Some of you have been abandoned. Some of you have been physically assaulted. Some of you have, in, have endured unbelievable injustices in your life. Some of you have children at this stage that are hurting you, or some of you have a spouse or a parent or somebody who is hurting you, and it just doesn't seem fair. I don't know why these things happen, but once again, I'm going to say, walk me through, I'll ask you the question, you don't have to answer it, it is completely rhetorical at this point, walk me through how eating Chips Ahoy or eating pizza is going to remedy that situation. If I honestly thought, honestly, I've got 23 years of abstinence, I love OA, it's, it's wonderful, it's fantastic, it's this, it's that, I love OA, it's great. However, walk me through how me eating pizza is going to reverse the Holocaust or chattel slavery or racial prejudice or AIDS or, or uh, what do you call it? Um, um, what's the one word? COVID. COVID. I could, that's how, that's how Meshuggah my mind is. I couldn't even think. Walk me through how me eating pizza is going to change that. And I will go get a pizza right now as hand to God. If you can convince me that this is going to help this, I will do it. But here's what I say to myself. I'll be damned if I'm going to put food in my mouth over the Holocaust. I'll be damned if I'm going to put food in my mouth over slavery or war or pestilence or disease. I'll be damned if I'm going to let Hitler kill one more Jew. I will not allow it. I will not do it. Now, can I keep myself from eating? No, but I know what to do not to eat, and that is work my program. So maybe it sounds a little pompous that I'm going to say I'm not going to eat because he's not going to kill one more Jew. What I really mean to say is I'm powerless over food, but if I keep working my program, the Holocaust can't kill me if I just keep working my program. Do I wish that all these horrible things didn't happen? You bet I do. I hope not one more person ever gets killed in a crime, an assault, a war, anything like that. I wish that we didn't live in a world where this was, but it's the reality of what we're dealing with here and there's no escaping it. Live in spite of it or die because of it. Those are our choices. Let's continue. We looked askance at many individuals who claim to be godly. You know, one of the things that I get asked from time to time, I was asked this Thursday of this week, how can I believe in the program when Bill Wilson had affairs with all these women? I don't think I can work the steps and believe in this program because Bill Wilson was a philanderer. And to my way of thinking, Bill Wilson, first of all, was a human being and he had his faults. But I'm going to tell you something that I've learned through the study of history. Yes, it's probably true that he had dalliances. But I will tell you that in 1952, there was a friend of his named Peter. And Peter N. was one of the big trumpet sounders, the big Paul Revere's of Bill Wilson's affairs, because Peter was friendly with Bill and they had a falling out. And he wanted to get back at Bill. And he started a lot of these rumors. Now, I am not saying that Bill Wilson was a choir boy. Oh, I'm not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, he left 10% of the royalties of the big book to a woman who wrote 
uh, freedom from uh, freedom from bondage. The woman that wrote that, Helen Wynne, he left her 10% of the royalties from the big book. And he was very, very friendly with her for a long time. And there were rumors that he was going to leave Lois and pick up with her. You're free to discount this program because of what Bill did or didn't do or where he went or didn't go. You are free to do that. And that's fine. That's, if that's your choice, I can't stop you, nor do I want to. But wouldn't you be cheating yourself out of the most magnificent recovery known to man? Wouldn't you be uh, cutting your nose off to spite your face? The book that Bill penned and the program of recovery that are here in our, in our midst are more effective at combating addiction than all other methods combined that we know of. Wouldn't we be foolish to say that because Bill Wilson wasn't perfect, we're gonna discount everything that we read in the book and everything that we learn from each other? Wouldn't that be foolish? You would be the first one to tell somebody, don't do that. You're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Dr. Bob was not perfect either. Dr. Bob had a little bit of a problem with the women in AA. He used to say, under every skirt is a slip. And when Sylvia Kaufman came from Evanston, Illinois, to be part of their group in Akron because Earl Treat said, I think you need to go to Akron. She did. And she was a wealthy divorcee. She lived in Evanston. And her alimony in the 1930s was $700 a week, which would be roughly akin to about eight or 9,000, 10,000 a week today. And she was in her 30s and she was very attractive. And it got back to Sylvia Kaufman that Dr. Bob did not want her moving to Akron because the wives were freaking out. She was single, she was wealthy, she was young, she was beautiful, and they did not want her moving to Akron. And when it got back to her, she got on the train for Chicago and got stinking drunk on the way back to Chicago because she never felt that rejection like that in her life. She trusted Dr. Bob. She trusted all the members of the Akron group with her life. She told them things that she had never told anyone. And she found out that Dr. Bob did not want her moving to Akron and it crushed her and she got drunk. Should we discount this program based on those mistakes that these human men made? God, I hope not. So there are things that happen that are far more horrible and nightmarish than Sylvia Kaufman crying and getting drunk or Bill Wilson's dalliances. Yes, I would agree with that. But you see where I'm going with this, and that is no person is above the level of a human being. God didn't put a bunch of machines on earth. He put humans on earth that sometimes because they have freedom of choice, they can use their God-given human powers for good and they can use them for bad. And there are people throughout history that have used their powers for bad. Bad, bad, bad. Should we let that kill us? God, I hope not. God, I hope not. Let's continue. How could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? Let's stop right there. Every one of us has cried for different reasons, for the same reason. We lost a pet. We didn't get a pet. We lost a parent. We lost a child. We lost something or someone that we loved. 
and we cry. And often we blame God because we think that God somehow ignored our prayers. God was crying right with you. He was crying right with you. Human choice doesn't mean that we're going to live forever. Human choice doesn't prevent certain diseases or maladies. Divine intervention isn't going to mean that we live forever. But sometimes it's inherent upon us to cry. And sometimes it's inherent upon us to suffer. Because that's how we're going to know the joy and the sweetness of the good times. And that's a part of life. I wish it wasn't. I wish everything was rainbows and unicorns. And I wish the Cubs won every game they ever played. And the Ducks of Oregon and Bears. I wish they won every game they ever played. But that's not the world we're living in. That's not the world that we're living in. And sometimes things go, oh, a little different than what we would like to have them go. So how could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? He sent someone to comfort me. My mother died when I was 22, but when I was four, she fell into deep, deep, deep mental illness. My mother had three distinct personalities, three. She could be a screaming, raving lunatic, a three-year-old, or a pretty together person. And she was a source of embarrassment to me. My father was old and poor and he was an immigrant, barely spoke the language. He would go to parents' night. He wouldn't know what the hell they were talking about. And he would come up to the teacher at the end of the night, and I got this firsthand, and wave his fist and say, does he behave? If not, he gets this. That's all he could understand was, do I behave? He couldn't really understand what the hell they were talking about. And if you confronted him on it and said, Dad, how could you not understand? His response would be identical. And his response was always, I never vent to day camp, mitt a Superman lunchbox. And that was supposed to mean I didn't get to go to day camp as an American kid. I came here at 14 years old to make a life. I never vent to day camp, but a Superman lunchbox confused me and befuddled me. I didn't understand what the hell. And he would, if I said to him, what does that mean? He would just say, it means what it means. That's what he would say. It means I never vent to day camp, mid a Superman lunchbox. I didn't get it till I was probably in my 40s, 30s, 40s. I didn't get it. I didn't get what he was saying. Now I get it. Let's continue. And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? Yet in other moments, we found ourselves thinking when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. So we look at a puppy or a baby or a kitty we look at the trees and the redwoods and we look at we look at the stars we look at the we look at the world that we live in and we see its beauty and we're in awe of what god has done who could have created the beautiful life that you are every one of you is a magnificent facet of god's magnificent creation Every one of you is. Now, I said to put a pin in this. We're only going to do the one paragraph. We have other things to cover in the next 10 minutes. We, we've said put a pin in this. How do you work step two? 
The first thing that I do to work step two, and the first thing, and actually one of my sponsees is on the line. I can't really go through here and see who else is here. I don't have the time and it looks odd. You're looking at me and I'm scrolling through here. I, I can't do that. I know one of my sponsees is on here. The first thing I have people do is to come to peace with a liquid identity or description of what a higher power looks like for you. And I ask you sincerely to please discount the things about that description in God, higher power, great outdoors, a group of drunks, whatever it is that works for you. I say, God, don't hear something that's objectionable to you. When I say God, I mean my comprehension, my description of a God. Mine, not yours. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. I'm not here to convince you of anything. I'm not here for that. But the very first thing that I need to do when I do step two is come to an understanding of what that God is and what that God is not, or that higher power, or whatever that is for you. Discounting characteristics that you don't find admirable. Most people, they say, I can't believe in God because God he was never there for me. Okay, put down a God that is there for me. And I can't believe in God because God does horrible things. Put down a God who doesn't do horrible things. I can't believe in God because my mother died or my father died or whatever it is. Put down a God that doesn't kill people. Now, that doesn't mean that people are not going to die. But maybe you can redirect your anger and your disappointment some other way so that it doesn't drive you back into the arms of Chips Ahoy cookies. You see, we need to establish a relationship with a power greater than ourselves. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how to deepen and improve that relationship with a power greater than yourself. But in order for us to deepen and grow that relationship with a higher power, we must first identify loosely what that power is. And the other thing I would ask you to do is leave it in light pencil, because as life changes, as life goes on, there are going to be times when you are going to find yourself with a new God with a new description of God, with a new need, a new want, a new desire, a new situation. Some of you may be married. You may lose a spouse. You're going to have a different life. Some of you are single. You're going to gain a spouse. Your life will be different. Things will change. Things will metamorphosize. They will develop from where they are now to another space another dimension, another situation. So let your descriptions of God be in light pencil, pencil, so you can erase them, change them, alter them. That's very, very important because life is not a solid. Life is liquid. And the things that are facts about your life today may not be so factual a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you just don't know what's coming, nor do I. But I need a God that is there, that is flexible, that is someone that I can rely on, someone that's not out to get me, someone that's not out to punish me. That's what I need. And what we're going to be examining 
is we're going to be examining the specific how-tos of developing that relationship with that higher power that will catapult us to a new level of spirituality. And then we're going to study different things in this chapter that we're going to need to know. So the very first thing is that description of what God is and what God is not. It can be very, very simple. It can be very, very complicated. I would strongly suggest to you, leave it simple. The more complex things are, the more they trip me up. Overthinking, overdoing, you can make the Yiddish word of the day, ungebluzzled. What does ungebluzzled mean? It means overblown, overthought, overdone. Overthought, overdone. And the, the simpler my description of God is, the simpler it is, the better off I am. And the reason that I'm better off is because it's simple. And when things get too complicated, if I have 97 zillion descriptions of God and something happens and it doesn't fit description number 2009, then I'm going to be thrown off into a whole other direction. And that's probably not going to work for me. That's probably not going to be something that is going to be okay. It's probably not something that is going to be okay. So we have pockets of agnosticism, pockets of doubt. And why do we have pockets of doubt? because we run around telling ourselves, God's not gonna help me with this. See, I told you so. See, we have that, that, that catastrophe, we're, we're catastrophizers. Many of us are catastrophizers. Many of us are waiting to think negatively because somehow our egos think that that's a way for us to protect ourselves is to think negatively. What if I could think that if I take better action, if I do better at my program, then maybe God will lift me to a higher level. Maybe God will run to me when I walk to him. Is it so outlandish? Is it so crazy to believe that if I am willing to believe in a power greater than myself, if I'm willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself, that I too can't come to a place of neutrality when it comes to not only food, but the self-loathing, the doubt, the guilt, the shame, the critical thinking, the negativity that has plagued my life since May of 1954. Is it so outlandish that God could be so powerful that if I am willing to follow the dictates of a higher power as written in this book, that I too cannot recover? I'm at a weight far lower, far lower than I was in high school. I'm going to my high school reunion. I'm a hundred pounds down, over a hundred pounds down, little over a hundred pounds down from where I was as a senior at Mather High School on the north side of Chicago. And when I go to my reunion, God willing, on October the 15th, 2022, in Northbrook, Illinois, when I go to that reunion, I am going to walk into that reunion over 100 pounds less than I was as a senior in high school. And that still isn't enough. I still want more. I still have this and that. And how do I get it? Well, I could sit here and complain and I could sit here and catastrophize or I could work toward those things and let the chips fall where they may. So in summation, the first thing, and I told you, put a pin in it. Well, work step two, 
get that description of what that higher power is or is not for you, but write it lightly in pencil and please do not overcomplicate it. It doesn't have to be like the formula for the rocket fuel that's going to power the the astronauts to the space station. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be like the formula for new Coke. It can be very, very simple. Two, three things, genug. What does genug mean in Yiddish? It means enough. Genug means enough. Okay. Now, before I turn this back to Audrey or Nancy or whomever or 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 um, before I turn it back to Sue, or before I turn it back to, I don't think Maria's even here today. I don't think Maria's here. I didn't see her. Anyway, doesn't matter whether she's here or not. Okay, we love her, but I don't see her. So I'm going to assume she's not here. Before we turn it back, first thing, no math, no algebra, no arithmetic, no geometry, trig, calculus, 